All right, so we're going to be diving into Haggai chapter 2 here, and uh, pretty simple. Uh, we're going to be going almost verse by verse, uh, kind of starting at verse 4, and, and what we're shooting to do is uh, is to draw out Emmanuel, and, and then at the same time be drawing out the different things that he changes. So we're going to dive right in uh, to uh, uh, chapter 2, verse 4, and we're going to look at how Emmanuel changes weakness. He changes weakness, which is to say that he gives strength, or he is strength, really, for the weak. So chapter 2, verse 4, it says this, But now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. So, so let's just uh, kind of draw this out a little bit. Um, we have to see that the people of God felt weak. Uh, I mean, you don't really give the, hey, be strong speech to people who are already feeling strong. You give the be strong speech to people who feel weak or to people who are weak, right? And so, so God comes and he says, hey, um, it's time to be strong. Um, they felt weak because they were facing outside opposition. So I've already mentioned to you, uh, the book of Haggai takes place about 16 years after they returned from exile. So about, about uh, ex exile lasted 50 to 70 years. Um, at the beginning of that, right, the, the city of Jerusalem was destroyed and, uh, and the temple was destroyed. Everything was messed up. The people of God got taken away to a faraway land. They've already returned and they began to rebuild. Right, 16 years before the book of Haggai, they began to rebuild the city and more importantly, rebuild the temple of God. And, uh, and all of a sudden, uh, I mean, they probably got one or maybe two bricks in place. And the surrounding neighbors for the people of God started saying, whoa, 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 who do you think you are? See, um, Jerusalem was always the stronger, richer, more influential city. Uh, they were always the stronger, richer, more influential nation. And, and so as soon as um, uh, they start rebuilding, the neighbors get nervous. Uh, because for the last 50 to 70 years since Jerusalem was destroyed and the people were taken into exile, they were the stronger, richer, more influential neighbor. And, and so um, all of a sudden the, the tide has turned and they do not want the city of Jerusalem to rebuild and regain its strength and, and regain its influence and regain its riches. And, and so they basically say two things. They basically challenge the identity of the people of God. They say, who do you think you are to come in here after all this time and just start rebuilding? And the second thing they say is, oh, we're going to tell on you. <laughs> they, they, they threaten to write a letter to Cyrus and to say, oh, these people are rebuilding so that they can rebel. Now, those two things don't seem like very much to you and I, but we have to admit that it doesn't take much criticism in life to really knock us off our track. It doesn't take too many harsh words at just the wrong time um, to get us to question our identity and question what we are doing. And that's what happens to the people of God. They, they hear the outside opposition, the threats from the surrounding neighbors, and they just back off. They say, well, we don't want Cyrus to think that. And yeah, who are we to come in here after all this time and try to rebuild? And so what they do is they say, oh, we're going to stop this work and we're going to pivot to some different work. They face this outside opposition, and all of a sudden, they feel weak. And it's in that weakness, right? They've been in that position, really, for, for 15 or 16 years. 
And it's in that position of weakness, that feeling of weakness, that God comes with this triple emphasis and says, hey, be strong. Right, be strong, Zerubbabel, that's the king of the people of God. Be strong, Joshua, that's the high priest of the people of God. And then he says, be strong, all y'all. <laughs> be strong, everybody, right? Uh, so, so he wants everybody to be strong. But just notice this, that little word for. That little word for at the end of verse four is immensely important, right? He says, for I am with you. This isn't, hey, go to the gym and buff up, right? This isn't um, do mind exercises to, to sharpen your mind. This isn't uh, go to counseling to get your heart right and be strong in your heart. No, no, this is I am with you and I am strong. I am all that you need. So be strong, not strong in yourself. Don't try to bulk up and be strong in yourself. Just know that I am with you. Emmanuel, right there off the top in verse 4, we see that Emmanuel is with the people, and so they no longer have to be weak or feel weak because God is an almighty God. Um, if you're looking for maybe like a, a Marvel cartoon connection, almighty God essentially means that you have an incredible Hulk standing next to you. And things change when you have an Incredible Hulk next to you and, uh, and he is on your side. Right? Th this is Almighty God saying, I am with you. And, and the people all of a sudden realize, well, I'm not all that strong, but he is. <laughs> and that's incredibly good news. So, so uh, this is uh, super helpful. Emmanuel is super, super helpful to us when we experience criticism or, or when somebody shoots that harsh word at us at just the wrong time. And all of a sudden, we begin to doubt ourselves and question what we are doing. Uh, we can come back to this and say, oh, I've got an Emmanuel with me. And so I can be strong in my identity and I can be strong in what I am doing. Emmanuel changes weakness. The uh, second thing that we see is that Emmanuel uh, changes what work is most important. What work is most important? This is, this is kind of really interesting, right? Uh, we're still in verse 4. He says, be strong, Zerubbabel. Be strong, Joshua. Be strong, all you people of the land, and work. And why does he throw that little piece in there, and work? It's a really interesting little thing. He's talking about being strong instead of being weak and how his presence makes them strong. And all of a sudden, he says, oh, and work. <laughs> uh, we just have to see this. This is not a general command to, you know, get busy and do something with your life. Uh, this is a, um, let's make sure that we're doing the right kind of work. But remember, when the people of God faced that outside opposition, they stopped rebuilding the temple of God. That was the one purpose, the one mission they had when they came back. And, and they left that work. And what did they do? They started building their own lives. They started trying to build lives of comfort and coziness. Uh, comfortable, cozy lives is what they were trying to build. And, and, and they started building their own homes, and they started building their own lifestyle and their own life. And all of a sudden, Haggai comes along in chapter 1 and says, hey, you guys have made your work the most important work. You guys have made your work of building cozy, comfortable lives the most important thing. And you've been forgetting the work of God. And so um, Haggai 1, and this little jab here in chapter 2, and work, 
it is a call to them. It's like, it's like God is holding up the mirror so they can see their sin, so they can see their mistake and the fact that they have really put their own coziness and their own comfort above the work of Almighty God. Emmanuel changes what work is most important. Um, the, the call here is to get back to the important work, to the, to the mission of God, to, 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 to the work that God desires. Uh, by the way, um, the result of their work of trying to build cozy, comfortable lives uh, led to a general sense of emptiness and a general sense of dissatisfaction. Uh, Haggai chapter 1 says that they've sown much, but they've harvested little. It says that they ate, uh, but they never had enough. They drank, but they were never full. Uh, that, that they had clothes, but were never warm. Uh, they had a general sense of emptiness or general dissatisfaction. And so Emmanuel comes, I am with you, and, and he changes what work is most important. Uh, we are awfully busy people, Right? And so this is in a kind of uh, in kind of a, a challenging kind of way. Uh, this is a, a a good thing that Emmanuel does for us. He, he he says, "Hey, are you busy with the right kinds of things?" I mean, we do a lot of work in life, but it's not always the right work. Um, we make our work the most important work instead of the work of God. And so Emmanuel changes what work is most important. And we come back to the mission of God, and, and, and Emmanuel redirects us to remember, oh yeah, the most important work is connecting people to Christ. Uh, the most important work is making disciples that make disciples. Emmanuel changes what work is most important. Um, a third thing that we see is that Emmanuel drives away fear. This is a super cool verse. This is verse 5. Um, this is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, and my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. Um, so, so what we see here, right, is, uh, is, is Emmanuel's all over these verses. Uh, he's saying, look, I was with you in power when you left Egypt. Now, just kind of pause there for a second. Um, you want to talk about an almighty God that looks like the Incredible Hulk? Well, when the people of God were slaves in the land of Egypt for 400 years, um, God finally got angry enough and, and dissatisfied with that enough that he hulked out. <laughs> and he brought down 10 plagues on the, peop on, uh, uh, the land of Egypt uh, to win the freedom of the people of God. And so he's saying, look, just like I was with you in power, in might, uh, when, when I brought you out of Egypt, I am with you still today, right? He says that, that I promised to be with you. When you left Egypt, I covenanted with you. I promised you that I would be with you always in power, in might, and I'm with you now in the same way. So do not be afraid. Emmanuel drives away fear. And again, right, it's that, it's that presence of that incredible Hulk-like figure. Um, when, I've, when I've got the incredible Hulk next to me, and I understand that he is on my side and that he's going to fight for me, I'm not afraid of quite so many things. <laughs> I'm not afraid of much of anything, in fact, because I know I've got Almighty God with me. Emmanuel. And Emmanuel drives away fear. Uh, the, the, the next thing that we see is that Emmanuel reframes the future. 
Emmanuel reframes the future. This is kind of interesting. Um, we're we're going to pick up at verse 6. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all nations, and the desired of all nations will come. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. So um, there's a lot going on here in these verses, but, but let me just kind of draw out a couple of things for you. Um, first of all, you, you have to understand that, um, that, that when the people respond to Haggai, they get to work. Right, so, so Haggai comes along and says, hey, you guys have been doing the wrong kind of work. And they actually pivot and they say, oh, you're right. We've made our work the most important. And our work of, of trying to build cozy, comfortable lives isn't the most important work. And so they actually respond to Haggai and they start rebuilding the temple. And as they're rebuilding it, it takes them five years to rebuild the temple. As they're rebuilding it, they begin to, at some point, begin to weep and to mourn. Here's what's happening when they weep and they mourn. Um, they're remembering uh, Solomon's temple. Solomon's temple was this gigantic structure that drew the nations to them. Um, uh, the, Solomon's temple was so magnificent, so glorious, so uh, significant that people from all over the world would literally come to check out Solomon and to check out the temple that he built. And so they're remembering that magnificent, that significant, that glorious temple, right? It was an incredibly huge structure. And here they are, post-exile, um, uh, 16 years in, and they're beginning to rebuild the temple, and they're seeing this kind of structure. And they're saying, well, that's not very significant. That's not very glorious. This thing is so small, it's not going to attract anyone. Um, let alone be impressive. And so they begin to weep and mourn because what they're doing is they're, they're looking in the past and they're saying, well, what we have currently right now is, is definitely not as good as we used to have it. And they're, and they're saying, what, what we see coming in the future is definitely not as good. It will never be as good as it used to be. And God comes along in that moment and says, no, 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 I'm going to reframe the future. Do you see Emmanuel here? The desired of nations will come. Uh, that connects to our song, Come, O Come, Emmanuel. We're going to sing it in just a couple of minutes, and you're going to hear the lyric, come, O come, come, let's see, I can't think of it now. Come, desire of nations, come, right, is what the, the opening lyric there is. And, and the desired of nations is Jesus, is God himself, right? He is the treasure that, that, that the nations desire, whether the nations know it or not. Emmanuel is the desired of nations, and he will come. Um, I will fill this house with glory, God says. Uh, glory is a word that means weightiness or significance, importance. I will fill this house with glory. So, so just see what, what God does here, right? For people that are, that are mourning and, and weeping because right now and the future will never be as good as it could be, Emmanuel promises that he will come. 
I mean, this is an incredible section. He has, he has pointed them to how he's been Emmanuel in the past. He's told them over and over already, I am with you now. And now he's saying, I will be with you in the future. And because I will be with you, that moment will never be as good or glorious as it could be. See, God reframes, Emmanuel reframes the future. He says, look, I am good and glorious right now. And so this moment is as good as it could be, <laughs> as good as it ever will be. And, and, and guess what? I will be with you in the future, and I will be in this very place, in this very temple that you are rebuilding. I will be in that place, and because I will be there, it will be good and it will be glorious. Solomon's temple was glorious, without a doubt. It was significant, without a doubt. But God is reframing how they view the future and saying, no, no, that's going to be really good. And that's going to be really glorious because I will be there. I think it's a good word for us. Uh, as we look at our current reality and we say, man, it's not as good as it used to be. As we consider what the future may look like and we say, oh, it'll never be as good as it used to be. God comes along, Emmanuel comes along and says, no, 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 I am with you, and I will be with you. And so the future will be significant. It will be glorious. It will be good, because I'll be there. Emmanuel reframes the future. Uh, last one, uh, I want to just kind of circle uh, uh, or uh, read verse 9 again. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. Uh, Emmanuel brings peace. Uh, he changes things because he brings in this peace that didn't used to be there. Peace is, of course, the absence of conflict or the absence of war, but it's also a sense of wholeness and fullness. And so just see this, right? This is a precious gift that God is promising to bring, that Emmanuel is promising to bring. They've been facing outside opposition, right? People that don't want them to succeed, and God comes into that and says, I'm going to bring you peace. Uh, they, they've been uh, facing their own sin. They've been full, filled with fear. They've had uncertain futures. And God comes into all that unsettledness. And he says, look, I'm going to give you wholeness. I'm going to give you fullness. I'm going to give you complete satisfaction. I will bring peace. Emmanuel brings peace. Emmanuel changes things. It's a simple truth that we just kind of need to be reminded of and come back to. And today we've listed off several things, several things that Emmanuel changes. He, he brings peace. That's one. He drives away fear and uh, he changes what work is most important. And he gives strength instead of weakness. Uh, God might want to change something else in you. He might desire to, to change something else around you. But we can be certain in, in two things. Number one, that Emmanuel comes. <laughs> He's come before. He, he has promised to come again. And we can be certain that he comes today. 
The second thing that we really need to be looking at and, and be open to is what is it that he wants to change in me, around me, in this world today? Emmanuel always comes and he always changes. Amen. Uh, let's pray. Uh, Jesus, uh, thank you for being a God who comes. You, you choose to be with us. It, it's your, your very heartbeat. Uh, you have desired to be with us since the beginning of time. You've promised to be with us in the future. And, uh, and, and you, you are with us right now today in our homes, right where we are. And so we thank you for being Emmanuel, uh, for showing us who God is. Uh, we know and we believe that uh, the disciples are always being changed by you. And so we just ask, will you give us open hearts and open minds to see what it is that you desire to change? In the name of Jesus, amen.